Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. I want to rock right now. I'm your host and I came to get down. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone. Man, you corny! <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back or welcome to Season 10 of the Raise Your Game Show. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr. The focal point of this season is on core values and the principles, tenets, and standards that make up the foundation of what we believe and how we behave in every area of our life. More importantly, why having unparalleled clarity and conviction in our core values will drastically improve our decision-making, our performance, and our fulfillment. Joining me today is someone I've admired from afar for a while, and this is actually the first time we've met. Yes, via Zoom. I have so much admiration and appreciation for her perspective and the content she puts out consistently on social media. Lauren Johnson is a mental performance coach that lives by the motto, Elite by Choice. Her mission is to help people improve their lives by making better decisions. She's been entrusted by professional sports teams like the New York Yankees and world-class brands like Google and Johnson & Johnson. For more on Lauren and to get her free weekly mental workout, check out laurenjohnsonenco.com. In this series, Lauren and I will be discussing her three primary core values. Reality, relationship with discomfort, and adaptability. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on adaptability. But before I dive in with Lauren, I'm excited to announce the release of a new book I co-wrote with my great friend and colleague, Rich Szyslowski. It's called The Sideline, A Survival Guide for Youth Sports Parents. Are you a youth or high school sports parent? Do you know a youth or high school sports parent? Are you a youth or high school coach? Do you know a youth or high school coach? Do you run or manage a youth or high school league or organization? If you answered yes to any of those questions, please visit thesidelinebook.com now. Once again, that's thesidelinebook.com. Trust me, it's a game changer. And now here's my conversation with the fabulous Lauren Johnson. So Lauren, so far we've talked about two of your core values. We've talked about accepting reality uh, and we've talked about our relationship with discomfort. So now let's talk about your third and final core value for this series, and that is adaptability. Kind of give me an overview of, of, of how you define it and, and why that is one of your core values. So I love this value and I'll tell you why. I remember again, going into mental performance and seeing pro athletes and, you know, the things that inspired me to get into this field is like, you know, seeing, seeing Tom Brady and how he performs and watching, you know, Tiger Woods as he was coming up. And then, you know, being able to see like Derek Jeter and just these incredible athletes, Michael Jordan and how they did what they did. And to some degree, they seemed invincible. And so when I thought about mental toughness, that's kind of what I thought it was. It's like, we're creating invincibility, but it's so not true. Mental toughness doesn't make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. Adaptability allows you to ebb and flow with what is actually happening in your environment. And again, to those two points that we already talked about, the reality is things are not always going to go your way. 
the reality is somebody at Starbucks may tell you that your, your degree is worth nothing or that you're never going to use it. And it may change the trajectory. The fact is that all these things in life, we cannot pick and choose every moment of our life and how it plays out. And so the question becomes, are you willing to adapt to it? And how quickly can you? Mm. Because one of the biggest differences I notice between uh, you know, an amateur athlete and a professional athlete is not the fact that they don't feel unconfident, that they don't have slumps or they don't have discomfort or they don't go through difficult moments, but how quickly they bounce back from it yep. is what makes them elite. And so instead of the ups and downs being large, like really, really high highs and really, really low lows, their highs and lows are much smaller. They're still there. They still have highs and lows. You never eliminate them. They just become much more manageable. So it sounds like it's a major skill set to be able to be somewhat chameleon-like in every single environment, that every environment you're able to adapt to what you need. And, and many of these environments that are ever-changing, sometimes the environments are you know, what we can label as good, or at least the way we'd prefer that they'd go. And then other times, almost more often, they're not. That the circumstances, the events, what people say, what people do uh, are not in alignment with our preference or what we like, but we still have to adapt to those situations, if nothing else, just to move forward and, and make things better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we can all relate to being adaptable in some way or other, or we can also relate to not being so adaptable and you know, really pushing back on, on a lot of things. And like we said earlier, a little bit was just that the things that you resist persist. And so by accepting our reality, by developing that relationship with comfort, it actually ultimately helps you with your adaptability. Mm -hmm. Because if we, if we look at, if we look at any situation we're in, there's a few things that I really like to look at. And I actually had this experience. Um, and I think we've all had this experience. If you've ever flown on a plane, um, <laughs> where you, something goes wrong, where, you know, you get there and suddenly your flight's delayed. Like I remember just the other week, I was sprinting through Phoenix, the Phoenix airport, which by the way, is large. Yes. And you're, you, it's just so hot. You never pull up at the gate right next to your connection. Of course you're not. always sprinting for 15 minutes and now you have to sprint with a mask on. So yeah. it's just like, talk about, talk about just struggle. Okay. So I, I'm doing this and I, and I finally get there and he's like, I, and the reason why I was sprinting, by the way, for this connection is because it was going to the same destination that I wanted to go to just an earlier time. So I'm like, oh my God, I could get out three hours earlier. Heck yes. So yes. I'm like sprinting to try and make this. And I get there and he's like, he, he says something I didn't think about. He goes, did you check a bag? And I was like, yes. Like, well, your bags are still going to land three hours after you. Yeah. Oh, uh, so the point is something always goes wrong. Of course. And you know, that is actually the breeding ground for me to practice controlling what I can. I specifically practice that skill every time I'm at the airport. Yeah. Every single time, whether it's something on the plane is wrong. We need to fix it. We're delaying you by 30, 30 minutes or your flight is canceled. We're sorry or the person you're sitting next to, whatever it is. And so when we think about this thing, there's actually, there's actually a great story that I know some of my good friends have told and, and I've, I've told many times myself, but um, it's actually of a retired Navy SEAL, Mark Owens. Mark Owens, he, he wrote a book called, uh, no, or of course, I'm, it's going to 
no hero maybe that's it okay. of course it's going to slip my mind right as i go to say it um and we'll adapt. This, yeah talk about adaptability right so in this book he talks about he's climbing above the nevada strip and he's overcome with fear and he's like you know i'm climbing i'm a couple hundred feet up on the rock face and i'm just overcome with this fear and it's kind of paralyzing and so he's like i stop and i look down at you know some of my other buddies climbing and I'm looking up at my supervisor and he's climbing out without a rope, like a freaking spider monkey. He goes, and then I'm looking out, you know, at the Nevada Strip and, you know, all these, all these areas. And suddenly his supervisor yells down and he goes, hey man, stay in your three foot world. Mm. He's like, I can't even think, let alone decipher what this means. So he yells back up. He goes, he goes, bro, what are you talking about? He goes, stay in your three foot world. You're looking down at your team. Like they, they can't help you. Right. You're looking up at me. I can't climb this climb for you. You're looking out at the Nevada Strip. What are you going to do? Gamble your way to the top? <laughs> he said, stay in your three-foot world. Stay within the things that you have control over, that you can manage. Focus on what, how you can impact your current climb. What is the next move? And he goes, I will never forget those words. Mm. Stay in your three-foot world. And so I think that applies to all of us yeah. that really adaptability also comes down to knowing what part to adapt to. And I think that begins by defining where our control lies. And then right now, man, our world, there's a lot of things outside of our control. Oh yeah. You know, there's, you know, with, with everything that's happened the past couple of years with the pandemic, you know, the opinions of others, what people are doing, what people aren't doing. Um, and, and everything in between your circumstances, our jobs, like so many things outside of our control have happened. But my question is, what are the things within it? Mm. And I know I'm not ignoring that the things outside of it don't exist. Right. But where are you placing your energy and your time and your efforts? Because when we give effort to things we can't control, our efforts wasted. Yeah. When we give effort to the things that we can, it becomes effective. And so whether that's, you know, what, what can you exercise, what you're focusing on, what you're doing. And there's two questions I like to ask. Number one, where does your control lie? And number two, what are you going to do about it? What it does is it shifts your mind back to the present mm -hmm. and it challenges you, challenges you to act within it. And that is one of the best antidotes is acting in the present. Stay in that three foot world, stay in that little three foot bubble. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean like, right. It, do, it doesn't mean we don't ever like exit that the three foot world, right? There's, there's of a course. lot of good in recognizing the things outside of our control can help us adapt. But, but when it comes to being adaptable in any given situation, you know, I can't, I have no control over the fact that my bags are on a plane that are going to arrive three hours after me. Right. I have no control over the fact that something is actually wrong with my plane and Oh, thank God they caught it before we got in the air. Right. I, you know, I have no control over, over anything that's happening with the airlines. And so for me, talk about coming from a control freak, uh -huh. like the airport is like, is like my nemesis. Absolutely. <laughs> I have control over nothing except where I am at any given time. Yeah. Well, with that, you said something powerful before that I want to make sure doesn't get glossed over and our listeners pay attention to this. You actually view some of these triggers that can cause you some frustration 
it sounds like you're viewing them as a gift because it gives you an opportunity to practice something that you need to get better at. And I know that's one of the biggest shifts I've had in my life. Uh, generally speaking, in the past, um, I've had signs of being a, an impatient person. So anytime I have an opportunity to practice patience, uh, I'm at a point now, it doesn't mean I like it, doesn't mean I prefer it, doesn't mean I don't wish this cashier would hurry up because I've got somewhere to be. However, I'm now at a point where I have the awareness where I kind of, my internal dialogue is, all right, Alan, you, it looks like you need a couple reps in patience. So the world's gonna throw you an opportunity right now to practice, enjoy. And with any of these things, it, it's, it just, it's a trigger of something inside me that's not reconciled, that's not free, that's not in alignment with the person that I'm working to become. So let me take advantage of it. So yeah, I find that uh, when you rearrange your relationship with these different triggers and things that annoy us, it's actually a gift. And there's, there's no shortage of those things. And as you said, uh, the airport's got more than enough of those. If you ever need to practice your tolerance, your patience, just go to the airport, just go hang out for four or five hours and you'll get lots of reps in. Oh man, yes, yes. And you know, just to add on to that, one of the biggest predictors of success is your ability to see the opportunity in the struggle. Amen. And I remember, man, I must've been, I was young and I didn't fully understand it at the time, but isn't it funny how sometimes the seeds that are planted when we're young, they blossom when we're older. Mm -hmm. And I remember being told that if you want to learn how to love, God will give you opportunities to love others. That's awesome. If you want to learn patience, God will give you opportunities to remain patient. And I remember thinking about that. And in terms of you know, those mental skills that I teach and that I coach, every opportunity like that offers a moment to exercise it. And so for me, patience, man, I, you were preaching to the choir there for a second. Uh, talk about impatient. Uh, my husband would definitely double down on, on that and be like, yep, uh-huh. Um, I am not patient. And I have been given many opportunities to remain patient. And actually one of the <laughs> one of the places that I like to exercise patience, now that we're talking about this, I think I'm becoming more aware of where these triggers are where I actually practice them intentionally yep. is in the car. Oh. I'm not a patient driver. But you know what helps me exercise patience is I imagine my grandmother driving in front of me. Yeah. And how I would want other people to treat my grandmother if she was in front of them. And yeah. by the way, my grandma's a pretty, she's actually. She's a pretty good driver. She drives, she drives fast, like yeah. uncomfortably fast. And you're like, could you, you're 87. Could you slow it down? Like yeah. she, she just like full send. But still the point is that like, I always think of somebody I love and I think about how would I want to be, how would I want a stranger to treat somebody I loved? Yeah. And then I try to put myself in that position. And so, um, so yeah, I think that the thing that you struggle with that you really want to create um, a better relationship with it's again, it's not to avoid that situation, right? Right. It's not to run from situations that make you impatient. It's about accepting your reality, facing yeah. them, developing a relationship with it and developing a tool that becomes, that helps you to become adaptable within it. For sure. That well, is exactly where I do that. Well, one of the adaptive tools that has helped me, especially since we keep going back to patience, uh, since that's something that has, has ailed both of us in the past. Um, I've also shifted 
my previous outlook, and I know this is incredibly arrogant and condescending, when someone was like a bad driver or a slow cashier, my thought is, you know, oh, this person's an idiot. Like this, this part. And instead I've shifted that to giving everyone the benefit of the doubt and saying everyone is doing the best they can with the tools they have. And, you know, there are plenty of areas in life where I'm the idiot, you know, and, and one of the best examples is I used to get frustrated if I'd come across someone that didn't speak English very well. I mean, this is embarrassing to say what, what an, what an a-hole that would be to have that mindset until I started traveling around where I didn't speak the language and everyone was probably looking at me like I'm the idiot because I, I wasn't able to, you know, to, to do what was normal to them. So I've, I've been able to increase my patience by making the assumption everyone's doing the best they can and give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, not everyone has the same set of tools and same in the same area. So just assume that they're doing the best they can. And that's, that's helped with my patience. And then of course, the humility of knowing in other areas of life, I'm that guy, I'm testing somebody else's patience because I'm not very good at whatever I'm doing. And the other thing, and you mentioned it with the driving, another adaptive tool I've used is to realize I only have a very small snapshot of, of information right now. So someone cuts in front of me in traffic, I'm basically putting an assessment and a judgment on their entire life based on two seconds of them cutting in front of me. I have no idea what's going on in their world. I have no idea what's going on in their mindset. I have no idea what experiences they've had the 10 minutes before. You know, maybe they need to get off on this exit because they're sick or they have a sick child, or maybe they're, they're late for an appointment that's really important to them. It's so easy just to make a judgment and think uh, this moron can't drive when in reality, that's not the case. You know, they're having a moment of weakness because of some other circumstance. And I too have had those moments of weaknesses and probably not made the best decision. So all of this stuff lends to more grace and tolerance and acceptance and kindness, uh, which are certainly things that I need to continue to practice on a regular basis. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And, and don't you think too, that like kindness is currency. Oh yeah. I remember actually growing up, my mom may hate me for saying this story, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to reveal it because we both learned from it. But I remember Oh, talk about embarrassing. Like we're going to share some, we're, we're going to share some embarrassing stories here, Alan. Um, so I was, shoot, I was a freshman in college. I was playing at the University of San Francisco playing soccer. And uh, we get to this location. Uh, we were traveling to, to play. Shoot, I think we were in Colorado. And we were traveling and uh, my bags got lost. And I was freaking out because like an idiot, like talk about being the idiot, right? Like I didn't pull, I didn't carry on the most important things were like my laptop and my Jersey. And you know, like those things that are really important that like we can't lose. So I am like freaking out. And I remember, I remember being like, okay, well, I'm going to walk into this, like the, the luggage area or whatever. And I need to, like, I need to make myself known. Like they need to serve me first. Like I am so in time. I'm so important. I'm more important than anybody else has lost their bags in here. Me, like, you know what I mean? And so like, I, and I like lost it and like lost it. I mean, is relative. It depends on what you think lost it is, but still I'm not happy. I'm not proud of it. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, this is crap. Like, and I like started like totally out of character, totally, but like most people that know me know that like, that's not exactly how I confront my issues, sure. but for whatever reason, I felt justified. Let me tell you, 
who they helped first. The woman who said, and I understand, tracking all of these bags can't be easy. And I remember looking at her and thinking, what a jerk you are. Just having a little bit of compassion is sometimes, it goes so much further. Yeah. And guess who got helped first? She did. Oh, I barked loud. Yep. I didn't care. Who wants to help somebody that's being screamed at? Exactly. Who wants to go out of their way with somebody that's being screamed at? And, and, the, and the whole point of all of this is, to your point, is just the way that we manage these certain situations. Yeah. The, way, the story we tell ourselves, right? I feel like all these, all these principles and these values we've been talking about, like yeah. they all like come together. They absolutely are. Such an, a great way when it comes to adaptability. And the idea is assuming positive intent. Yes. And assuming you know, in, in that, that example, it's also, and, and I've had similar things happen. It's also remembering, first of all, the lady that you're barking at, she didn't lose anything. No, she's been in that cubicle the entire night. She didn't load your bag. She didn't lose your bag. She didn't do any of that. So you're, we're actually venting at the wrong person, which isn't going to get us anywhere. And then, as you said, too, you used a great word that we almost had this air of entitlement, like yeah. United, you did this to me. Do you have any idea who I am? They're like, no, we lost everybody's bag that loaded it up. This ain't, you're not special. You just happen, you just happen to have your bag. So yeah, I think being able to take a step back. And this goes back to one of the most powerful things you said in, in the first part of our discussion was being able to take a beat and take a breath and choose a response that will move you forward. So losing your bag is certainly not your preference. It's not what you like. You're allowed to feel irritated, frustrated, annoyed, however you want to feel. But what's a response that I can choose that will actually improve this situation? And it, and it sounds like the, the lady that had some empathy and compassion, she chose a better response than maybe you did at the moment. But what a great learning experience. And it's also a great learning experience. I'm sure ever since then, if it's something really important, you put it in your carry-on bag and not checked it. So that was kind of some darkness that you had to go through to get through the light that you've now learned a lesson that I bet you've never forgotten. And that's, that's important. So whereas some people could have labeled that was a bad experience, we can look at it from a different vantage point and saying you losing your luggage that day maybe taught you one or two life lessons that you'll have with you for the rest of your time on earth. That's actually great that that happened to you. Yeah. And you know what? And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget it. I will never forget the feeling I felt when I heard that woman have compassion mm. feeling like I was overcome with like, I was overwhelmed with almost like guilt. Yeah. And like, who are you? Like you are not important. Like, and as yeah. much as you think you are, like you are not as important as you think you are. And I mean, it was a, it was a really big like moment. And I'll say, I never did that again. <laughs> it was the right. first and only time that I spoke to somebody that way For when sure. it came to, you know, something that the people had no control over. It was not fair. It was not kind. And, yeah. um, and it wasn't, it wasn't very gracious. And so talk about a learning experience where, I always think that when those things happen, right now, when somebody messes up your order, somebody does, you know, whatever that is, assuming positive intent and going like, oh, you know what, this, this, it, it creates a different experience, right? Yes. Because 
and, and I'm, I'm gonna forget who said this and I'm upset, but I didn't come up with this quote, but this quote I love. And it's when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't and, remember who said that either, but that is, that's some powerful stuff right there. And so when you change the way, you know, that you look at the woman that, or the, the airline that lost your bag or the person that's not quick enough on the freeway or the cashier that's just like so slow, when you change that, it actually changes how you experience it and how you interact with it. Yeah. And I know for myself, you know, and these have been some progressive changes specifically over the last maybe three, four years of my life. It's also just led to just unbridled happiness and fulfillment. Like when, when I'm not allowing these, we'll just call them little annoyances to have any effect on me. I mean, let's be honest. It's important not, not necessarily to label everything, but we, I think we can all agree there's kind of a spectrum, you know, a, a loved one being diagnosed with cancer is certainly a lot more adverse than losing luggage on a flight. I mean, I think most people can agree there's a difference in that spectrum. Um, so for me, I'm thankful to have little opportunities to practice mental strength, to practice, you know, uh, uh, kindness and, and empathy and compassion and tolerance, because that's the proving ground. So when the big things do happen, and trust me, they're going to happen to all of us, I'll be, I'll be more apt to handle them. Doesn't mean I'll handle them perfectly by any means, but, but let's keep those things in perspective and how easy we can behave with a small thing and act like it's a big thing. I mean, and, and I have done that more times than I can count. Thankfully, I do them a lot less frequency, uh, frequently now than I used to. So I feel like I'm making some progress, but yeah, you know, it, it goes back to that best-selling book from 20 years ago, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. You know, I've read that book 50 times. And I mean, it's had a major impact on my life because anytime now I find myself getting frustrated or bent out of shape, I just remind myself, I'm like, Alan, this is a small thing. You're not going to remember this a week from now, much less a year from now. So why spend five minutes getting mad about something that you're not even going to remember next week? So yeah, I think that's good for all of us to practice. Oh my gosh. It's so true. And you know, I, it actually reminds me of this one memory I have, uh, my husband and I, we were watching the world series and, um, man, this was back. Let's see. It was probably in 2018. And, um, you know, we're watching this, we were in Florida at the time. And so it was really late. It was like 1am and it was, the game had gone into extra innings and we're watching it and every pitch, I mean, like your heart is just racing, right? And you're, you're, you feel like the pressure, like you're actually in the game. It was super funny. Neither of us knew we were doing it. But at the end of the game, we both kind of confessed and like realized we were both practicing our breathing. Oh. During that high pressure situation, because although we're not in it, it's like when you watch a movie, right? I mean, you, yeah. you react emotionally, whether you cry or your heart's racing because uh, the person, the bad guys around the corner or, you know, whatever that is, your body can a lot of times physically react to things. And it actually, we both took the, took that moment to practice our response because our body was responding under pressure, even though we weren't. Mm. And so it was really funny when you were talking about using those instances, that's actually one that we were both doing. And we like realized afterwards that like, Oh, you were practicing that too. He's like, yeah. I was like, Oh, I do that all the time. He's like, me too. And like, in movies or like, or, you know, whatever big games, you know, those are things where sometimes we can get so invested in them that um, it's always a good time to practice it. Is your husband in the same line of work as you, or did you teach him some of these skills? So no, he is a professional golfer. Oh, wow. 
and he's working his way up on the PGA tour. And, oh. uh, and yeah, so he, I think he's, he'd been introduced to a lot of these things before we even were dating. Um, but, um, when I did meet him, let's just say we've made some improvements. Since I first met him, uh, he will, he will laugh and I agree. He's like, I was mentally not in a good place. Um, now granted, I don't take responsibility for that. That's not because of me necessarily. Um, I really think that has, that's, that has to do with, I mean, he did all the work and I didn't work with him. I think just because I talk about it all day long. It's something I love. It's something I'm passionate about. He's now become very passionate himself. So we often read the same books and then we'll talk yeah. about it. And we'll discuss it. So he's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he could be an, he would be an amazing mental performance coach, but he, uh, you know, his focus right now is golf. So, but oh. it's both an industry and, and, and area and practice that we both enjoy. I love that, man. That's super cool. Well, Two things before we close out that, that just came to my mind as far as uh, adaptability. I know you do a ton of work um, at the corporate level and uh, whether it's coaching, giving keynotes, doing team trainings. And one thing I've found really fascinating over these past 18 months during the pandemic is which organizations have best been able to adapt to the changing landscape caused by the pandemic. Um, I, I know here, uh, one of the best examples was there's a, a grocery store. I think it's a local chain on the East Coast called Wegmans. And they by far did a superior job adapting when the pandemic first hit. And they were one of the first to have, you know, some of the plexiglass up and one of the first to put signage up that, that encouraged social distancing. And one of the first that, you know, uh, brought in extra staff instead of laying staff off so that they could keep the place sanitized. And, and I can just, tell, I mean, they did it better than Whole Foods. They did it better than Harris Teeter, than Safeway, than Giant, like all of the local competition. And I think they were heavily rewarded for that because that place was always packed with people. And then another thought that I think of when it comes to adaptability, and I don't, this popped into my mind when you're talking uh, about your husband, is we have to adapt the way that we teach, the way that we coach, the way that we talk to others. That I would imagine because he's your husband, even though he's a professional golfer, you probably have to approach him slightly different than you approached the Yankee who was in the hitting slump, someone that you didn't have that relationship with. Like we have to be chameleon-like and adapt as teachers and coaches and parents, because even with my own three children, you know, who I helped co-produce, I don't speak to (laughs) each of them in the exact same way. You know, my son Luke needs something different than me than my daughter Lila needs. And I, I have to talk to Jack different than I talk to Luke. The, the truth, I'll always be honest. I'll always be truthful. I'll always love them unconditionally, but the way that I approach them is very unique to each of them. And, and as a father, I constantly have to adapt. As a speaker, I constantly have to adapt. So th- there's not really a question with that. I just wanted to throw that out there in case that sparks any thoughts for you because this whole concept of adaptability uh, could go in so many different areas. And that's why I'm so glad you picked it as a core value. Oh my gosh, no, I love that. And it's so true. And I'll actually tell you a, a funny story about my husband. Uh, he originally, like, uh, he actually asked me, he's like, I want you to be my mental coach. Okay. He'd like hear me like working with my clients. And was this before or after you started dating? This is after we were like, oh. we're, we're living together. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like this was prior to engagement, but living together. And he, you know, he's like, I really, I just want you to be my mental coach. And I was like, no, you don't. He's like, no, yeah, I do. I was like, no, you don't. Like, I promise you, you don't, but no. just to prove it to you, let's go for it. So I said, your next tournament, I get to be your mental coach and I get to coach you. Oh, wow. And he's like, all right, let's go. 
you can guess how long that lasted. Um, <laughs> for really not past this first round, because after the first round, he was like, all right, give it to me, mental coach. What do you got? And I had some things to say that he didn't like. Yeah. And it, so it cracks me up because people ask me all the time, do you work with your husband? I'm like, no, yeah. trust me. I had to prove it to him uh, that this was not a good fit. But to your point, I could never speak to him the way that I spoke to, you know, somebody, somebody else. Of course. Understood. I do not speak to my CEO clients the same way I speak to my, you know, pitchers. There's, it's, it's, it's different, right? And so I think the adaptability and being able to teach also has to do with knowing who you're teaching to, whether it's in mental performance, whether it's you're a football coach or whether you're a teacher in school or you are you know, a manager or a leader in some way, um, being able to be adaptable within your teaching, I think is ultimately what makes a really big impact. And I will never forget this. And this is a really good story for adaptability. It's not my story. My, uh, my really good friend, Justin Sua told me this once and I will never forget it. He, uh, he actually told me the story because I was interning at IMG Academy underneath him back in like 2013. And I was really struggling to make an impact with, you know, with the people, uh, with the players I was teaching. I was teaching, I think it was basketball at the time. And I was, I just felt like anything I did, I just wasn't, I wasn't making the impact I saw everybody else making. And he's like, let me tell you a story. Actually, when I was first teaching, he says, I, uh, I, I was teaching and I had my supervisor come in. He was going to grade my teaching. And he said, you know, I'm prepared for all of this. And He's like, I, I'm up there and I'm teaching the class. And he goes, you know, when you're like halfway through and you just know you're crushing it, like absolutely crushing it. He goes, I'm hitting all my talking points. I'm like, I, I'm just, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm feeling great about it. And so he says, it, you know, the, the class leaves, it's over. And I go and I sit down with my supervisor and he said, he, he's like, uh, I ask him like, how do you think I did? And he goes, well, let me ask you first. How do you think you did? And he goes, you know, I'm trying to be humble here. So I'm like, I think I did okay. And his supervisor goes, yeah, I think you did okay too. And he like kind of stopped in his tracks. He's like, what do you mean? He said, let me tell you the difference between a mirror and a magnifying glass. He said, a mirror teacher reflects what they want the students to learn. They reflect what they want to say, what they want someone else to hear but a magnifying glass focuses on the people, the individuals and what they need to hear, not what you want them to hear, but what you need to hear. And he said, today, you are a mirror teacher, not a magnifying glass. And so I think adaptability shows up in so many ways, even as something like the way that you teach are you teaching like a mirror and telling people what you want them to hear? Or are you adapting to the needs of others, meeting them where they are and helping them through the things that they need in that moment and being adaptable? Even if you don't, even if you want them to hear this, adapting because you know they need to hear something different. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope we helped you raise your game. But before I sign off, another quick reminder to check out The Sideline, a survival guide for youth sports parents at thesidelinebook.com. This book has one goal, to help parents and coaches successfully navigate the world of youth sports. If you have a child that plays youth or high school sports or you coach youth or high school sports, 
you need this book. Trust me. Check out thesidelinebook.com. Once again, that's thesidelinebook.com. Hit it. Yes.